Is there a desire in you to not just attend revival, but live in revival? Welcome to the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Saldivar. I've been in revival for the last 10 years, as well as traveling and being a part of many revivals throughout the United States. I'm going to be sharing with you how to live a radical lifestyle of revival on a daily basis. All right, we're going to leave the chat up on screen tonight. It's going to be really chill here, and we're going to do a Ask Me Anything. So here's the deal. I have tons of questions that you guys already sent in, and then I'll go through some of those, and then I'll open up the chat and answer your questions on the chat, okay? So we're going to do pre-questions that have come in. I've taken random questions. I'm not picking them, the ones that I want to answer. This is Ask Me Anything. So I'm not prepared for any of these. I didn't prepare ahead of time. I literally just wrote down random questions. We had over a thousand questions come in. I just wrote down a bunch of random ones I'm going to answer. And then I'm going to also answer questions from the chat. So if you're like, oh, I didn't get to write one in, then guess what? It's okay because we're hanging out tonight. We have 1,600 of you on. Keep sharing the broadcast. And then we're going to also just answer and I'm 31. For those of you who are going to ask my age, we already got that out of the way. That's first question. How old are you? I'm 31. I'm going to go ahead and answer them in the comments. So that's going to be really, really good. Okay. Question number one. When doing deliverance, some people think you have to do it softly and they will get delivered by speaking peace over them. What do you think or say about this? All right. That's interesting. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? There is a trend that goes around in the body of Christ where they teach deliverance. It's just very peaceful. Just be peaceful with them and speak the peace of God over them and the demons are just going to leave. Oh, it's not biblical. It's not in the Bible. That's not the way the scripture works. You don't just speak peace over people. When Jesus did deliverance, this, this all goes back to, guys, when we're talking about deliverance, it all goes back to what did Jesus do? What did Jesus do? Did Jesus come up to people and just speak peace over them? Did Jesus go up to people and say, I'm not going to let you manifest. I'm going to get this done right now. Peace. And that's it. That's not what Jesus did. The way that demons leave people is we drive them out. We drive them out. We drive out spirits. We cast them out. We violently throw them out of homes, which Matthew 12, Luke 11, we are the houses the demons live in. And by the authority of Jesus Christ, we're able to evict unclean spirits that live and inhabit inside of people. So speaking the peace of God over someone is awesome and great. But that's not the biblical way to do deliverance. We do deliverance by commanding spirits to leave in Jesus' name. That's how Jesus did it. Jesus said, if I cast out spirits by the finger of God, then who do you guys do deliverance by? Or he said, sure, the kingdom of God has come upon you. And then he goes on and says, like, who do you do deliverance by? So this is the Holy Spirit's power. By God's spirit, in Jesus' name, we drive out demons. A lot of I'm going there. We're going there tonight, okay? For some reason, the pastors and leaders that don't cast out demons are the best teachers. They're the ones that teach the most on deliverance. Like the thing is this, if you're doing deliverance on somebody, I'm sorry, if you're teaching deliverance and you've never done it, then you probably don't know a lot about it. So you shouldn't get up and start making these absolute statements like, oh, just pray peace over people. Or, oh, it has to be really quick. Or, oh, we don't let demons manifest. It's like, you don't do anything because you don't do deliverance. And then to all the people that say, Isaiah, you're, you do deliverance wrong, or this guy does it wrong, because we all do it a little bit different. This guy does it wrong, right? They say deliverance isn't for today. That's not how you do it. The, the question is, well, then how do you do it? And the answer is they don't do it. So I'm doing it wrong, but you're not doing it at all. So that's, that's one issue I have with guys that say you do it wrong, or that's not how you do deliverance. Like if I post a deliverance video on TikTok, tens of thousands of comments of that's not how deliverance works. I'm a Christian. This isn't it. You're, you don't even do deliverance. You're not offering a better solution. My way is doing it the way the Bible tells us to. Your way is just don't do it. Your way is just people don't get delivered. 
So it's like, uh, I just have a problem with these people that like I'm on the field pushing the ball forward and you're in the stands being like, I wouldn't have thrown it that way. Like, how are you going to be in the stands telling me how to play or telling, yelling at other people from the stands? How are you going to teach from the stands? Now, if you are going to tell me something, I'm open. I, I want to learn. I watch all these videos on deliverance. I'm still learning. I don't, I don't know at all. I haven't arrived. I'm learning from all of my peers that do deliverance. I'm open to learn. But if you're going to teach me, be on the field with me. Be like, hey, maybe you should try it this way. But I'm on the field with you. I'm dirty with you. I'm, I'm, in the, I'm in the gutter with you. I'm in the trenches with you. I'm not, doing, I'm not teaching you from the stands. I'm not teaching you from an ivory tower. So before I'm open to learn about certain ways of speaking the peace of God or doing just inner healing, it's like, man, I want to see some fruit. I want to see some evidence. Like, have you cast out demons before? And if you have, I'm open. But if you've never done it and you don't do it, then why are you teaching on it? I just don't understand why you're teaching on it. Like, stay stay in your lane. Don't teach on something that you have no clue what you're talking about when you're going to teach against what the Bible teaches. You can't escape it. Jesus did it, told the disciples to do it, and we do it. So I'm not into the whole just speaking softly for them to get delivered. Now, you don't have to be loud for deliverance to happen, but sometimes demons are like little kids. And when you say, clean your room, clean your room, there's a time where you need to raise your voice because they're not listening. So again, they're not deaf. God's not deaf, the demons aren't deaf, the person's not deaf, but there are times where raising your voice does help the demon to respond or the demon to listen. All right. All right, someone said, how should you start sharing your faith with your family and friends and also strangers when you feel prompted to? Really good question. I think the best way if you're just starting out to share your faith, of course, talk about what Jesus did, what he did on the cross, all the biblical doctrine, but also sharing your testimony. Share your faith, share your testimony with friends and family. A lot of people don't share their faith because they're overwhelmed with not knowing the right doctrine or the right sermon or the right message. But remember, one of the most powerful ways to share your faith is speaking on what God has done in your life. Tell them three steps to sharing your testimony, how you were before you got saved, where you were at when you got saved and how you got saved. That's two. So one before how you were. Two, where you were at when you got saved and how you got saved. And then three, how your life has been since you got saved. Those are three simple steps that you can save. Put them in your shepherd's bag to sharing your testimony. That's a great way to start sharing your faith with friends and family because no one can debate that you've been saved or delivered or healed. Like no one can tell you that's not right. So don't be overwhelmed. Start out with your testimony. Start out with what God has done in your life. Okay. My question, next one is, my question is about your testimony. When you said you were seeing angels and demons at your college and stuff, do you still see them constantly or is it a once in a while thing? Yes, when I got saved, I went to college and was seeing demons and angels everywhere in, a, in the spiritual realm, of course, but it felt like I was seeing them in the natural realm. And again, spiritual matters are mysteries. They're hard to explain with natural words. Now, I don't oftentimes see see it the way I did the day, I, the day after I got saved when I was at college. Well, I was, I was like overwhelmed seeing that, but now I see like, how do I explain this? I often do see when I'm praying deliverance demons in people or over people. Like if I look at someone in the eye while I'm doing deliverance on them, I can see a, either a name of the spirit or I could see a dark figure in them, or I can just, I can't explain it well, but I can see in the spirit realm, the demon that's attacking them. Or if I'm preaching and I'm doing mass deliverance, I'll oftentimes see like a dark figure in the spirit realm. This is not in the natural realm. So we're not talking about like just a person with a, like a grim reaper over somebody with a, you know, uh, an ax or something. It's in the spirit realm and it's hard to explain. I could see like a dark figure or like a dark shadow or a dark being over them. 
Now, there has been rare occasions where I've actually seen demons, demonic spirits, what exactly what they look like. If I knew how to draw good, I can draw them because I remember what they look like. So in rare occasions, I will see exactly what the demon looks like in rare occasions. But oftentimes, I'll see a dark figure or I'll see like a spirit on them or I'll see like when I look him in the eye, I'll be able to discern a spirit there. And that's, again, the discerning of spirits gift from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's not seeing in the spirit. It's part of discerning spirits, distinguishing spirits. Some say, next question is, some say mental illness is demonic. Others say it's not demonic. What is your opinion on mental illness and demons? Okay, my opinion is this. It's not always demonic, but it's not always natural. Some guys that do deliverance say mental illness is always physical. It's never a demon. I don't believe that. I oftentimes believe when people have demons, they go to the doctor. They tell the doctor their symptoms. Now, a doctor cannot diagnose a demon. A doctor is not going to say, oh, that's a spirit of anger. That's a spirit of depression. That's a spirit of fear. So let me give you an example. Say you have a spirit of anger on you. You just get angry all of a sudden for no reason. Irrationally, your heart's racing, your blood's boiling. It is a spirit of anger. You go to the doctor and you say, I just get, I don't know what's going on with me. I'm, I'm fine in one minute. And the next minute I'm in rage. I'm angry. I'm in a different mood. I'm a different person. The doctor says, oh, let's see. What is that? The doctor can't say that's a demon because they don't, they're not going to prescribe you deliverance. So they, what are they going to say? They're going to do their best to say, sounds like you are type it in the chat. What do you guys think they're going to say? Bipolar because one minute you're fine. The next minute you're angry. You're in a bad mood. You're depressed, right? You're one way this. And then the next minute you're this. So the doctor says you're bipolar and we have this medication you can take. Okay. They give you a pill. They give you a pill. And again, there's sometimes where it is a chemical imbalance in your brain. I don't want to discredit that. But again, my question is, how does a doctor diagnose a demon? So yes, it could be physiological, but it also could be spiritual. So the doctors do what they do and we do what we do. If it's not a demon, then go to the doctor. That's fine. But if it is a demon, the medication's not going to get a spirit out of you. So that's where we need deliverance. And then for those Christians that are mad about what I'm saying, what did Jesus do? Did Jesus come and say, well, that's just a sickness. You need medication. Or did he drive demons out of people? And the answer is Jesus cast out demons. Now, this is good preaching tonight. If I'm a follower of Jesus, if the Bible commissioned me to cast out demons, then that's what I'm going to do as a believer. The Bible did not commission me to prescribe medication to people. That's a job of a doctor who went to school for 12 years. It's not my job. So they do what they do and there's nothing bad about it. It's a noble profession and I do what I do. Okay. So these are apples and oranges here. I think a lot of times mental illness is spiritual. And again, I know my colleagues would disagree. I think a lot of times it is. I was talking to a lady recently. She said, I'm on all these antidepressants, which I don't want to go into what I think about those, but she said, I'm on all these antidepressants, all these pills because I have, what did she say? Is it manic depression or something depression? Diagnosed depression. Okay. So I said, well, how did you get that prescription? And I'm, I'm going to tread lightly here because I know I know I could get in trouble for saying all this stuff I'm saying because I'm not a medical professional. And this is not medical advice. Thank you, YouTube. Just so you know, YouTube, I'm not giving medical advice out here. So don't don't take my video down. She said, I have said, I said, what did you do when you went to the doctors? She Did they scan your brain? Did, I, I don't know. I've never been to the doctor for mental illness. So what did you do? Because they're telling you you're mentally ill. So what did you do? She said, I didn't do anything. I went to the doctor. I said, I've been having depression and I filled out a form and I got medication. 
They gave me medication. That was it. I didn't take no chemical balance tests, no brain scans, nothing missing in my brain. I just went, told them I was depressed, and they gave me a ton of different pills that have made me feel crazy. So that's what I'm saying. Like, are we going to say that's just phys? How do you know that's physiological? How do we know that's not a spirit? Like, I think we put so much faith in in medicine more than we do in Jesus. So again, medicine's not wrong. It's not sinful. It's not bad if you're prescribed and it helps you. I think there's a place for physicians. Luke was a physician. The person that wrote the book of Acts was a physician. But I also think we could prescribe deliverance to people quicker than we say, oh, just go do this. Oh, just go get medication. So a lot of these schizophrenia, a lot of these, we're just labeling demons. We're naming demons. Let's be honest. Okay. Now there's, I think there's rare times where someone does have a mental illness. Okay. So don't go and say, oh, I'm not taking my pills because Isaiah told me not to. But I also think there's a lot of times, and I know this is a very, very big argument in the church. I, I, I would lean more on the spiritual side. Okay. I pray for deliverance and then I pray for healing. And then, Hey, God hasn't healed you. If you haven't got delivered, there's nothing wrong with seeing a physician. Can you heal someone that doesn't believe it's possible to be healed? Yes. Yes, you can pray for an unbeliever and they can be healed. If we were not able to pray for unbelievers and they would be healed, then that would root, that would take away the chance for us to witness through signs and wonders and miracles. So not every single person that was healed was a believer or needed to be a believer or has to be a believer. God can heal somebody that's not a believer and it's one great way to open someone up to the gospel. Now, there's other times where there's believers that believe and still don't get healed. So we're not trying to make a case against God why he doesn't heal everyone and why we don't know why or we do know why people get healed. Our goal is this. We're called to pray for the sick. That's what I know the Bible says for me to do. So I pray for the sick and it's God's job to do the healing work. Does it happen every single time? No, I wish it did. I'm a student though. He's the master physician. I'm I'm in training. Did Jesus pray for every person they got healed? Yeah. But we know in Jesus' hometown, the Bible says... He could not do very many miracles because of their unbelief. So yes, unbelief matters. Yes, it matters that they don't people don't have belief. Or there were times where Jesus didn't heal everybody. So this idea that cessationists uh, tell us where charismatics are, you guys are wrong because you should pray every person, empty out hospital, every person you pray for should get healed. That's not the way healing works. That's a straw man. We pray for people. We don't think every person we pray for gets healed. We don't think we're going to go empty out a hospital. Now, if a hospital called me tomorrow and said, hey, you could be here all day praying for the sick, I would be there tomorrow morning. But that's not usually the case. It's God that does the healing, not us. So yeah, I I definitely have seen unbelievers get healed and it's a great way to witness and open people to the gospel. All right, someone said, and we're going to open up questions of the chat. Let's just take a bunch of these that have come in. I think a lot of good questions came in and then we'll open it up to the chat as well. Type one if you're enjoying this tonight. Someone said, how can I know if I'm truly saved? Oh, that's a really good question. How do I know if I'm truly saved? One, there's many ways. One way is there's fruit in your life. There's evidence of a changed life. Okay, your life has changed. You were born again. Another way is the Holy Spirit bears witness. When you have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will give you a witness that you've received salvation, you've attained salvation, that you are saved. But also remember, we're saved by faith. We're saved by faith. We're saved. It's only grace. It's only faith. So salvation is not this emotional experience. Now, there is a born-again experience, Romans 1.16. I'm understanding of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. Salvation is powerful. And there is times where you it's experiential. But also remember, it's a faith thing. We're saved by faith, not by works, by faith. So it's the grace of God. By faith, we're saved. I believe that 100%. That's what Paul taught. That's what the, the disciples taught, the apostles taught. 
So there's no arguing this. So I don't have to feel saved. I don't have to be like, oh, but if there's no evidence in my life, if my heart hasn't been changed, if my life hasn't, isn't different, if, I, if I'm not walking a repented lifestyle, if I'm still out drinking and cussing and smoking and partying and like no different than before, then I would say, I don't, I don't know that I'm truly saved. I would start questioning my own salvation if I had the desire to still live the same. There should be a life change in you. There should be a desire towards holiness, not perfection, a desire towards holiness, a desire of walking with God, walking in the spirit, walking in the way God's called you to walk. And remember, the Bible says it's not by works, but then it goes on the next sentence and says that God has prepared good works beforehand for us. So God has prepared works for us. Faith without works is dead and works do matter in the sense that works don't gain me salvation. Works are the evidence I've received salvation. So works are evidence. They don't gain us salvation. We're not saved by works. There's no works you can do to be saved. But now that I'm saved, I do good works according to scripture. And that's the evidence that I've received salvation in the first place. So works, we don't teach works-based salvation. Cannot work your way into this thing. I do good works because I'm a son of God and I want to please him and I'm in relationship with him and I want others to experience the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit and the life-changing the life-changing power that God has, I've experienced. Okay. So the Holy Spirit will bear witness if you're truly saved. There's evidence, but at the end of the day, it's by faith. The devil will cause you to doubt it. Just keep walking in the spirit. I hear this voice in my head. It's very faint. Okay. Interesting question. It doesn't cause me any trouble, but it only started once I reconverted to Christianity. I know you've talked about words of knowledge before. Are these different? And if so, what is going on with me? Really good question. Okay, so he says, I'm, or he or she says, I hear these voices. They're not like saying anything bad or causing me trouble. They're very faint, but it's only started since I've reconverted. It might be the Holy Spirit. It might be words of knowledge. I can't answer it without knowing what are the voice, what is the voice saying? Because there's the human spirit, which is your own thoughts you create. There's the Holy Spirit, which is a still small voice you didn't create. And then there's demonic spirits. Okay, if you have a demon, demonic spirits can speak to you. If you don't have a demon, then it's either you or the Holy Spirit. If it's not you, then it's the Holy Spirit. Okay. What is the voice saying? If the voice is leading you to unrighteousness, it's probably a demon. Now, not every demon oh, it, um, overtly will say like, go do this bad. Or remember, demons want to remain undetected. So it would be against their best interest to just say, go do something terrible. They'll whisper small things to get you off track at times. So that's why it's hard to know because not every demon will say like, go do this sin. Sometimes they're just there. They know that you're onto them, so they're not going to overplay their hand. There's a balancing act that demons play with wanting to influence you, but also not wanting to overplay their hand. Because if they overplay their hand, you're going to know they're there and you're going to go get deliverance. So there's a fine line that they walk. There's a subtle line they walk. If the voice is leading you to righteousness, telling you to read your Bible, pray for people and like glorify Jesus, it's probably not the devil. I've never met a demon that tells people to go pray or go read or go to, or well, maybe go to church. Maybe the devil has told people to go to church because a lot of these churches are out here fake preaching a false gospel. But for the most part, if a voice is leading you towards righteousness, it's probably not a demon. So that's something to think about, but it's hard to know without knowing what the voice was saying. Okay. What is your ethnicity? I am a quarter German, a quarter Italian and half Hispanic. That's my ethnicity. So half European, half Hispanic. My dad's family is from Mexico. My mom's family is from Germany and Italy. And I'm, and that's that's where I land, okay? How do you tell the difference between a heavenly tongue and a demonic tongue? Really good question. So 
a lot of people are like, I don't want to speak in demonic tongues on accident. Nobody speaks in demonic tongues on accident. You have to intentionally speak in a demonic tongue. So if you're afraid of like, well, I don't know if this is demonic or not, if I'm speaking in the right tongue. The only people that speak in demonic tongues are trying to speak in demonic tongues. They've opened themselves up to the occult and to unclean spirits. So just know that you're not accidentally speaking in demonic tongues. But the way that you tell if somebody is speaking in a demonic tongue or a Holy Spirit tongue is discernment. Discerning of spirits. You're distinguishing between spirits. For me, if I hear someone speaking in a demonic tongue, I can immediately tell I have this gross feeling inside. I'm, my spirit is discerning their spirit. And I can discern that it's a false it's a false tongue or a demonic tongue and they try to say infiltrate the church or be in the church i'm able to tell the difference there okay but don't stress if you think oh i think i might be accidentally speaking in demonic tongues nobody speaks accidentally in demonic tongues all right next question is a church not casting out demons a good enough reason to leave the church oh man you guys are hitting me with some controversial ones okay so they're asking if my church doesn't cast out demons is that good enough reason to leave i would say no Okay, I would say no. And I'm going to tell you why I don't think it's a good enough reason to leave a church. Because it's not a salvation issue. Whether somebody casts out demons or not is not a salvation issue. I would leave a church. Now, there's a lot of reasons why I would leave a church. And that's completely up to you. If a church isn't spiritual, if the Holy Spirit's not there, if there's no spiritual activity, if the pastor's not making room for people to pray for each other, for altar calls, for spiritual gifts, I would leave. I wouldn't even worry about deliverance. I'd be like... Forget about cast out devils. There's nothing happening up in this church. So I would just leave flat out for that. But if the church is spirit filled, okay, I want everyone to listen to me right now. If they're laying hands on the sick, if they're preaching the true gospel of repentance, if they're preaching the narrow road, if they're touching on real issues, Jesus touched on like everything's perfect in the church spiritually, right? They're preaching the full gospel, but, and they believe in deliverance, but they just don't actively cast out demons. Then here's what you can do. You can get our teachings and supplement what you learn at church with what we teach online. One of the reasons why we teach on deliverance because we know a lot of your pastors are not doing it. So we do it and we do these conferences and help train you. Then you could be at your, your awesome church, learn about deliverance from our ministries, maybe get on the deliverance map if you want experience, still glean from us, but also be a part of your local church. Okay, you don't need to leave your local church just because they're not casting out demons. So I would say that's not enough to just be like, you know, I'm leaving my church. I don't want to be, um, I don't want to be, I don't want to be a party here now because you guys don't cast out demons. Okay. I just saw a question in the chat. I want to just touch on here because it caught my eye. James says, I'm an atheist. Like you once were, I truly don't believe God is real. I think it's used for social control. I heard your story. Is it true? And how can I get that experience? James. Okay. I know you're James McDowell. You're in the chat. I just saw you comment that you're an atheist brother. I was an atheist, 100% did not believe God was real. The, re the reason why I came to the faith was not because of social control, religious textbooks, or even a preacher. The spirit of God drew me to the altar and God I had an encounter with God because I got to a place where I was so broken and so like had no direction in life, was just like life is meaningless because that's the life of what the atheist teaches. There's no meaning to life that... I had an I had an encounter with God. I went to an altar and said, God, I don't believe in you, but if you're real, I'll lay down my life and give you everything. And an audible voice spoke to me and God changed my life. So when I talk to atheists, they're like, well, I don't believe the book or this or that. Brother, I got touched by God. God came to me and encountered me. I can't be an atheist if I tried. Like I can't be where you're at if I tried because I've had an encounter with God. And that encounter took me from being wanting to drink every day to never wanting to drink again, from treating women like they were pieces of meat 
to looking at women at, with respect from cussing every other word being the F word to never saying a word since then, tw you know, almost January be 12 years later. So it was not some religious experience I had or some buddy preaching me and trying to socially control me with some man-made doctrine. It was God encountering me. And if you want to get that experience, open up yourself to God. Say, God, I want to encounter you. I be I'll, I'll believe you if you come touch me and change my life and I'll do whatever it takes. I'll lay down my life. Just open yourself up to it. You're in the broadcast, James. You're obviously here because you're curious about God. And I'm, I could tell you 150% honest to God truth. Everything I said in my testimony is true. No, there was no fabrication. There was nothing made up. I was full on, did not believe in God and God changed my life. And here I am. 12 years later, it's the best decision I ever made. And I've seen God prove himself a thousand times over. I'll never be able to doubt God again. Remember, Romans 1 says everybody knows there's a God. Romans 1 says God has put his invisible qualities all around us. And so we all know, like James, you know there's a God. You're not, you're not truly an atheist. You just haven't experienced him before or haven't seen a true Christian before. But you do deep, deep, deep down, you know there's a God because God has put that on the inside of you. Creation. If you look at creation that testifies that there is a God. You don't just see a factory and think it just got there. You don't just see a book and think, oh, that just appeared out of thin air or it evolved. A book can evolve. When you see a book, you know there was an author. You know somebody wrote it. When you see a building, you know somebody built that. That Costco did not just appear. Somebody built the building. When you look at the sun, the moon, the stars, the trees, the everything, you study biology. When you study the human eye, the complexities of the human eye, you know there was a God that created the human eye. The human eye is infinitely more complex than the most technologically advanced cameras that have ever been created. Nobody understands how complex the human eye is and how intricately, incredibly designed it was. That's God who created that human eye. Did not evolve. And if we did evolve, then there would be no monkeys. Yet no one has ever been able to verifiably... Uh, Look at evolution and see evolution happen. No one has ever seen a monkey that's at the zoo turn into a human being in 100 years or 150 years. It's not observable. Evolution is not observable. It's never, no one has ever proven it. There's less evidence of evolution than there is that Jesus Christ was a real person that walked the earth and secular scholars testified that he rose again. So yes, I was an atheist. It's 100% true. I'm glad I caught your comment there and open yourself up, repent today, say, God, I want to know you. I'm opening, I'm opened up to you and go visit a church. Go hear the word of God. Stay in our broadcast. Be a skeptic. Stick around. We want you here. We love you. We appreciate you. Okay. Again, I came to God. I was cussing at the altar. One of my friends said cussing at the altar is the highest praise from the lowest place. And that is the truth because I didn't know what else to say. And God met me in my mess. I'm telling you right now, God is real and everybody knows it. All right. Can a demon leave? So, so no, a church not casting demons i don't think is a good enough reason but if the church is dead you should go find a new church like straight up don't raise your kids in a funeral home don't raise your raise your kids in a graveyard if your church is dead the spirit of god's not moving the pastor quenches the holy spirit does he doesn't allow prophecy he doesn't allow the gift of the spirits he doesn't allow the holy spirit to move go find a new church can a demon leave you without going through deliverance interesting question interesting question i want to say yes but I, I don't know 100% if they can. I think they can. I know that it's not easy for them to because a lot of demons have told me I want to leave, but no one's ever told me to. And I'm on assignment. I'm not allowed to leave. So I have had demons tell me they're not allowed to leave. But also in Matthew 12, the Bible says when a demon goes out of a person, it looks for rest, finds none, and then comes back in that person. It doesn't say when a demon's cast out of the person. Think about that. Matthew 12, 
It doesn't say when the demon's cast out of the person. And I think Luke 11 as well says this. It says when a demon goes out of the person. So it almost alludes to demons have the ability to come in and out of us at their own will if there's an open door. So the demon goes out, looks for refuge, finds rest, finds them, brings back seven more spirits. But it doesn't say the demon was cast out. So interesting thought there. I'm not sure about that, but I do think that I do think that it's it's possible for a demon to leave without being cast out. Uh, I think some demons leave when you start praying and fasting and becoming a Christian. They just don't want to be there. I've had hundreds of demons be like, I don't even want to be here. The person's praying. The person's fasting. Just tell me to leave and I'll go. And the demon just leaves. So, okay. Let's see. I lost where I'm at here. Okay. What is your biggest struggle or weakness? Interesting question. What is my biggest struggle or weakness? Um, My biggest... I don't, I don't know. Let me think for a second. I would say my biggest struggle is, this is going to sound so bad. This is going to sound so weird as well, because a lot of you are like, how is that possible with how many people you reach and how successful your ministry is? I think one of the biggest things I struggle with is discouragement, which is so weird. And I, I hate, I hate even saying that, but I'm being vulnerable because you asked, I think that, yeah, I think discouragement, I get discouraged. I get places where I'm like, is what I'm doing even helping anybody? And I know it's so wrong and it's so not God and it's so like just shouldn't be that way. But I, I, I think that's like the only thing I really struggle with. Like I really struggle with that where there's days where it's just like, I don't want to record. I don't want to go live. Like I'm a broken record. People don't care. People don't want to hear. I just, it's not that I hear a voice telling me that, but I just have those thoughts in my head like, what if people aren't really being changed? And what if it's just a waste of time? And what if nobody's on the live? Like, you know what I mean? It's all these weird voices yet. Right now there's 2,300 people. Tuesday, we had our biggest stream ever. Yet there's still that flesh in me that gets discouraged, that gets down. That's like, I don't know if I want to record today. I don't know if I want to go live or, you know, whatever discouragement you go through of seeing people come and go or this or that. So I think that's for me, one of the things that discourages me or one of the struggle, uh, one of the weaknesses or struggles that I have. And as far as weakness, maybe insecurity. I'm like, man, I'm discouraged and insecure, right? right? We're just having like a soapbox moment here. Tell all. I think, yeah. But I think though, let me say this as well. So I think, yeah, insecurity. I oftentimes think I'm like the least preacher at, at events. I oftentimes think like, man, I'm not a good speaker. I'm not good at this. And people are better than me. Like there's insecurities, which are not godly. But the, the flip side of going through, like, say, discouragement or insecurities or disappointment and insecurities, whatever you could say, is it keeps you humble. It keeps you humble. It keeps you leaning on God. It keeps you pressing into God. And it keeps you being like, okay, I need God because I can't do this without him. I need his spirit. I need his power. I'm weak. If I, if I say I wasn't discouraged or I wasn't, like, insecure, if that's the right word, then I would just be like, I'm strong. I could do it myself. You know, I'm the best speaker here or whatever it was. I think pride and arrogance could rise up. So I think part of it is God allows you to go through whatever it is to keep you humble, right? Paul had a flat, uh, Paul had a thorn in his flesh that he asked God. We don't know what it was. There's a lot of speculation. It was something, maybe it was like a heresy hunter, YouTube channel. I don't know, but there was something buffeting him, fighting him. And he, he prayed three times the Lord take it. And the Lord three times was like, no, I'm not taking it. Because in your weakness, I am strong. So you got to remember there's times where God allows these things. God allows these things to happen um, for the sake of keeping us humble. So maybe God's like, no, I don't want to take, I don't want to take your insecurity or your discouragement or whatever it is because it's keeping you in prayer. It's keeping you not thinking that you're this great high and mighty man of God preacher that everybody looks up to or you're not some, you know, famous person or whatever it is that people call me or think I am. 
it keeps me humble looking at, you know, God the right way. So, hold on one second. I have someone at my door. I have to text my wife. Okay. So, that's my weaknesses or struggles, I would say, right now. Maybe some other time they'll be different, but it's all working out for the glory of God. Someone said, what do you think about charging money for deliverance? Give me one second, K, guys. I got to take this call. Hold on. All right, sorry about that, guys. I had to take an important phone call that could not wait. All right, what do you think about charging money for deliverance? I'm telling y'all, you guys are asking. Okay, here's my thoughts on charging money for deliverance. Let me make this very, very clear so you can't take what I'm going to say out of context. Was I muted? I hope I was, right? Okay, was I muted? Type one if I was muted. I'm pretty sure I was. I hope so because I was talking about... Anyways, okay, good. I was muted. Here's my thoughts on charging money for deliverance. I do not charge for deliverance. I do not charge. Personally, I never have. I don't think I ever will. With that being said, I am not against people that charge for deliverance. Let me just paint a picture for you. Just make, let's just make a scenario, okay? You full-time do deliverance. You have an office. Hold on one second, one second. All right, sorry about that. Okay. Let me paint this picture. Should you charge for... Am I okay with charging for deliverance? What are my thoughts? You have an office building. Sorry about that. I, I'm, my phone is just blowing up here. You have an office building. You have 10... Uh, six, six employees. And you full-time have given your life... We can read your lips. All right, it's okay. You'll be fine. You've given your life full-time to doing deliverance. This is what you do full-time. Just like a pastor full-time pastors. Just like a hairdresser full-time does hair. Just like a TV producer full-time does movies. Whatever... Whatever thing is out there, okay? But you, given your life to doing full-time deliverance ministry. That's all you do. Nine to five, you cast demons out of people. You have six people on staff that help you do deliverance. They help you run your ministry. They help you run your finances. They help you run your administration. All these things. You have an overhead of, let's say, $200,000 a year it costs you for your building, for your employees, whatever, whatever, whatever. And all you do is deliverance. Where do you get the money to pay for all the stuff that you're paying for? Tell me that. Tell me where you get your money from. Exactly. So all of you people that are like, I don't know why somebody charges for deliverance. You go pay $200 to get your hair done. You go pay $80 to go to the movies. You go to all these secular places to pay money, hundreds of dollars to do all your stuff you like to do, buy your TV, buy your stuff. But then you get on live. And by the way, I say all this with, I don't charge. I've never charged and ever will. I've never made a dollar from doing deliverance. Some of you are like, you're only doing this for money. Trust me, I've lost more money than anything doing deliverance because people hate people that do deliverance. So believe me, if I wanted to make money, I would be preaching prosperity, not deliverance. With that being said, I don't know why you guys get so, and I'm, I'll rebuke all of you because y'all are, you're all my people. You're my family. And I can say this. Just think about why you get so mad about 
people that charge for deliverance when you're never you don't care about paying for anything else like how are these people going to survive with their families pay rent pay their bills if that's all they do for a living i would love to be in a place where i could pay somebody full time and that's all they do is do deliverance now now let me, let me keep going here because some of you are still mad and you're still like eh, i still don't think let me keep going if you don't like it guess what don't go to them we have a free deliverance map with thousands of people doing deliverance for free if you don't like people that charge for deliverance then just don't go to them so in what you should do is not go to them. What you shouldn't do is get up in comment sections, slandering them with everybody. So-and-so charges this much, then don't go to them. It's so simple. Don't go to them. Okay, if they charge so much, don't go to them. And here's the other thing I have to say. What's crazy to me is that you go to a, a church where you pay an offering or a tithe to a pastor that spends most of his week on YouTube. Like watching YouTube videos. Most of these church, mega churches out here, they really don't do much. They're golfing, they're watching YouTube videos, and I've been a part of them, I know. They're really not doing anything, and you have no problem them getting paid $100,000 a year. But God forbid somebody gets a full-time salary from doing deliverance. Like, you have a barbecue pastor at your church. You have a kid's pastor, a youth pastor, a children's pastor, an associate youth pastor, an associate pastor, an associate to the associate to the assistant regional manager youth pastor. Yet one person does deliverance and charges for it. You get all mad. I don't know why. Come on, dude. I, I don't know. I don't get where we get all this. Then again, don't go to them. And I'm, I could say all that I want to say because I don't charge. So I could say whatever I want about it because I don't charge. So it don't matter to me. But at the end of the day, I don't want to see people getting slandered that are doing the work, that are giving their lives for this. Okay. They've given their lives for this. Now, if I go get delivered and I go sit down with a guy and he spends three to four hours and don't act like y'all don't take four out five hours of someone's time. You go to get delivered, you want, you stay until you get fully delivered. If you go to get delivered, you don't want a 30 minute session. You want to be there until you get delivered. So if it takes four hours to do deliverance on you and you're against charging for deliverance, guess what? I'm going to, I'm going to sow into them a love offering. I'm going to give you money. If you spent four hours praying for me, I am going to sow into you and give you a love offering. That's the bottom line. There's nothing wrong with it. So this, the whole idea of like not charging all this stuff and I don't know why is, is totally weird to me. Paul said traveling teachers should be paid especially well. Now Jesus sent them out and said, don't take any money. Freely you've been given, freely give. And that's what I do. But you have to remember, they were not doing deliverance as their full-time job. And this is a, also a completely different time in the world. There's a lot of people out here doing deliverance as their full-time job. So... That's my thoughts on it. I know I, I rant on that hard because I'm tired of watching people that have given their lives for deliverance that charge getting slandered nonstop. Uh, just don't go to them. Okay, don't go to them. That's the bottom line. Don't cry and complain. Don't go to them. Because some of y'all have no problem going and watching all these demonic movies and paying all this money to get all your, you go get sushi, $120 to go get sushi. But you're like, oh, he, char he charged me a couple hundred dollars for six hours of his time. Come on, dude. You guys, you guys obviously don't know how ministries function and how your church spends their money we don't even want to go into that on how much money is spent from just doing nothing for god um so no i don't charge i never will i don't believe in doing it for me but i don't have anything wrong with people that do i have nothing wrong i can't give you a verse to say like oh they're wrong they shouldn't do that um, people's time is valuable and a workman is worthy of his hire the bible says if an ox, ox treads a field he should be able to eat from that field how are you going to tell an ox, I know you worked all this hard time, but you can't even eat from the field you treaded? If somebody's doing labor, then a workman is worthy of his hire. And deliverance is work. 
So if somebody's doing deliverance and working, then I have no problem paying them for it. But if you have a problem with it, don't do it because there's plenty of us out here doing it for free. And that's the bottom line. Okay. And if you don't agree with me, it's okay. We can still be friends. You don't have to say I'm dumb. Some of you type in the chat, Isaiah, you're dumb. Are you dumb? What's wrong with you? Um, yeah, those same people typing that have never done any deliverance are literally doing nothing. And so keep typing. Keep being a keyboard warrior. If one member, oh, if one is a member of a church, and we're going to take live questions soon. We have a lot of ones to go over. I won't go over all of them because we have so many, but we will, we will take some time tonight. We will take some time because I'm having fun answering questions. Okay, I'm having fun answering questions. I know I get a little bit heated talking about this, but I'm just tired of seeing people get slandered out here in in the comment sections if one is a member of a church how does one leave church in a biblical manner okay if you're going to leave your church and you're a member of your church it depends on what level of a member you are if you've been going there for two weeks and the pastor has no clue who you are just go find a different church you know what i'm saying you don't need to imagine you go to church for two weeks and then you like you go to the pastor will you bless me out he's like i don't even know who you are so it depends on how long you've been there if you've been there for years if you've been on leadership if the pastor knows you well then i would definitely say go to the pastor and say, Pastor, I know I've been here for years. This is why I feel the Lord leading me or why I'm leaving. You don't have to go and be all spiritual and be like, the Lord is leading me. Just tell them what it is. I'm leaving because of this. This is why. I feel like I, you know, I feel like this, 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 whatever it is, because there's a thousand variables. And would you bless me out? Would you, I would love your blessing because I want to be honorable and I would love to just be blessed out of the ministry and see if they'll bless you out. And if he says, no, you're rebellious, I don't want to bless you out, then it is what it is. But I would leave in a respectful manner. And then let me say this. Let me go big here. I'm about to preach. If you leave a church, don't take anybody with you. Okay, if you're saying like, God called me to leave this church, but you bring 20 people with you, that's not the way God tells people to leave. If you're going to leave a church, leave by yourself. Don't pull out half the church. Don't split the church. Don't bring all your friends and family with you. If God told you to leave, then you should leave. You don't need to bring a million people, okay? So I'm going to help you pastors out there because I pastored for almost 10 years. I senior pastored and I couldn't stand with people. God's calling me to leave my church and then they convinced 40 other people to leave with them. So did God tell all of them or are you like trying to be Moses and deliver them from the church and bring them out of bondage because you think now like, you know, we're somehow too religious for you to be here. Come on, guys. Stop the cap. Stop the cap. Don't act like God told you when you're bringing 50 people with you. What are the steps to hearing we're gonna have some good clips tonight okay what are some of the steps to hearing the voice of god clearly well there's a lot of steps and i have a whole video on this but i'll tell you a few quick ones number one is read your bible that's the best way to start hearing the voice of god clearly read it out loud number two is start making room for god to speak quiet your life quiet your life so many people's life is so loud there's your boss and your your colleagues and your people texting you and calling you and your instagram and your facebook and your youtube channel and your kids and your wife all day long it's a million voices like everybody's preaching to you all day fighting for your attention and i'm this is facts here fighting for your attention like i don't know why god's not speaking well there's a thousand other voices speaking where's god gonna speak God's competing with a thousand other voices. So one way that you can really, really hear the voice of God is by quieting those other voices, getting alone in the secret place, quieting down, removing all the distractions and being like, okay, Lord, I can hear you. I want to hear you. If everybody's yelling and the Bible says God's a still small voice, he whispers and everybody else is yelling all day, then how am I going to hear the whisper? So one is quiet your life down. Okay, that's one. Two is remove the distance between you and god the bible says sin separates us from god it creates distance if you're a 
300 feet away whispering, I'm not going to be able to hear you. So it's all about proximity. I want to get closer to you so that I can hear you. And this is what the Bible says. If you draw near to God, God will draw near to you. So how do I get close to God? Draw near to him. Draw near to him in prayer. Draw near to him in fasting. Draw near to him in the word. Listen to sermons. Get drawn near to God. He'll draw near to you. And that will help you hear him better. Because God's probably been speaking. You're just too far away from him to hear. You've let sin and all this compromise in your life separate you and get in the way so you can no longer hear God because God's whispering, everyone else is yelling, and there's way too much distance. Do you believe if a person is born again, they can also have a malicious spirit or a demon inside of them? Absolutely. I don't believe I know. I don't believe a person who's born again could have a demon. I know that a person that's born again could have a demon because I've done deliverance on many, many pastors and many Christians. And in fact, 99% of all the deliverances I do are on believers, okay? And if you're going to be arrogant enough to say, well, Christians can't have demons because they must not have been Christian, then you can tell the thousands of people that were pastors, leaders, Christians, uh, churchgoers, sincerely seeking God, reading their Bibles, praying that they weren't Christian. So if you're arrogant enough to say Christians can't have demons, you're going to tell all those people they weren't a Christian. I don't know. That sounds a bit weird to me. Absolutely. A Christian can have a demon. The Bible never says they can't. Jesus never said a Christian can't have a demon. If you open the door to a demon, a demon will come in. The Holy Spirit's not going to protect you in your disobedience, your rebellion, and you're opening the doors. Um, and demons live in a different place. If you want to watch my video on that, you can go watch it. Or you can keep listening to advice from pastors who have never done deliverance in their life that don't know the Bible. Because there's no Bible verse that says. Now, if you look at Acts chapter 5, Acts 4, and in essence, the fire full of the Holy Spirit, Acts 5, they were full of Satan. So if they were spirit-filled believers in Acts 4, how did the devil gain entrance into their life? Very easily because there was an open door. So yes, a Christian can have a demon and you keep saying they can't, doesn't do anything. It just keeps you in bondage. That's the devil's greatest lie. His favorite doctrine is a Christian can't have a demon because it keeps the people of God in bondage. Deliverance, type this in the chat. Deliverance is the children's bread. And if you're going to say, well, the people in the Bible that got delivered didn't believe in Jesus. Really? They didn't believe in Jesus? The man in Mark 1 was in a synagogue. Oh, what about the man at the tombs? The man at the tombs ran to Jesus, got on his knees, and started worshiping Jesus. Okay, so don't say, well, they didn't believe, brother. You're telling me the Syrophoenician woman who came to Jesus in Mark chapter 7? Mark chapter 9? Was it uh, Mark 5? Mark 7. She comes to Jesus and says, will you please do deliver will you please deliver my daughter from these spirits and jesus says because of your faith he goes you're not even eligible for deliverance and then goes because of your faith your daughter's been made well been delivered and the demon left that that girl that very instant you're telling me that she didn't believe in jesus she wasn't a believer brother what do you mean she wasn't a believer her faith made her eligible to get her daughter delivered well what about the girl in act 16 the the fortune telling girl paul delivered her she wasn't a believer Really? She wasn't a believer? You tell me one unbeliever you know that spent days following around a preacher going to every one of his events and then publicly saying that guy preaching's a man of God and and that guy and you name one person you know that does that that isn't a believer. I'm preaching strong tonight. What? Of course that she was a believer. She was following Paul around for days saying these are men of God they're speaking the truth. And Paul was frustrated and annoyed because he saw that she was in bondage. He saw that she was a slave to these masters and Paul cast the demon out of her. All right. So yes, of course, Christians could have demons. Of course they can. When someone says a Christian, could a, do you think a Christian have a demon? Of course. 
There's not even a question. A Christian could have whatever they want. They could have a Snickers bar. They could have a Twix bar. They could have a Honda Civic. They could have McDonald's every night. They could have whatever they want. How you gonna, how are you going to tell a Christian they can't have something? Well, Christians can't have demons. Really? Can they? So a Christian can't play a Ouija board then either? A Christian can't smoke? A Christian can't cuss? A Christian can't go to bars? Of course they can. They can do whatever they want. But they're going to open the door. So it's just so weird, this doctrine. And it's only in America, y'all. Nobody's in Africa. No one's in India. Nobody's in Indonesia arguing in the church going like, Christians can't have demons. They all know Christians could have demons. It's only the Western church that doesn't do deliverance. Isn't that weird? The one country that doesn't do deliverance is the one arguing. Because once you get in the ministry of deliverance, you'll realize that yes, even Christians need deliverance. I'm feeling fired up tonight. Okay. I have a deliverance scheduled soon. I feel so, with lots of O's, nervous. Is that normal? Absolutely. If you have a scheduled deliverance, being nervous is normal. In fact, I tell people when they have a scheduled deliverance, be ready to be nervous. Be ready for that day. Everything in you do not want you to come get delivered. The spirits in you, they know that you're getting deliverance that day. So they're making you nervous. They're making you sick to your stomach. They're making your heart race. Some of you are nervous every time I talk about deliverance because there's spirits in you that are making you nervous. So absolutely. It's normal to be nervous. Just press through. Those things know they're getting evicted. If you were getting evicted from the house you lived in for 40 years, and and I said, okay, next week, next Tuesday, you're getting evicted. The sheriffs are coming. They're knocking on your door. The gig's up. Pack your bags. We are kicking you out next Tuesday. And you have nowhere else to go. And you've lived there for 30 years. Do you think you'd be nervous? Do you think on Monday night you'd be like, oh man, tomorrow your stomach would turn. Oh, tomorrow I'm getting kicked out of the house I've been living in for 20 years. I don't know where I'm going to go. All my bags are going to be thrown into the street. I'm going to have to go find it, search in the desert and find a new home. Yes, you'd be pacing all day long. That's how the demons feel. That's why they cry. We don't want to leave. I don't have no sympathy for you. I mean, sometimes I actually do. I'm like, oh, I do kind of feel bad because I am kicking them out of their home in these certain moments doing deliverance. They cry so much. But then I'm like, I don't feel bad for anymore. You destroyed this person's life. The demons cry because they're getting evicted. Deliverance is Holy Spirit evicting demon spirits living inside of people. So if, you, if someone's scheduled to get delivered, you're going to pray deliverance over them. A scheduled deliverance is when you say, I'm going to pray for you, say on this day. Next Tuesday at 3, we're gonna, you're going to come over and we're going to pray deliverance over you. That's a scheduled deliverance. And of course, you can schedule deliverance. Deliverance is not the sovereign miracle that only happens rarely at God's own will. Jesus sent them to go do deliverance. So it was an on-demand thing. He didn't say pray that God would, if he, it's his will, he sent them out to go cast out demons. So again, people that don't do deliverance say, you can't schedule mass deliverance. Of course you can. Of course you can schedule a deliverance. It's the children's bread. It's on, it's on demand. We're not, we're not praying that God would do it. He already gave us the power, the authority. We go do it. It's not like if God's will is, God's will is that all of us would be delivered. So deliverance is not this mystical thing that happens once in a great while. We pray, Lord, please deliver them. That's not how deliverance works. We go with our authority and we cast out demons. What's your birthday? May 29th, May 29th, tongue twister, 1991. Okay, I have a question. I haven't been really reading my Bible because I feel like I haven't found the motivation to read it. I've read most of Genesis, but I haven't felt like reading it anymore. I'm not sure if it's just procrastination or a demon. Look, if you're brand new to reading your Bible, it's probably not good to start in the Old Testament. I would read like the first 10 chapters of Genesis, and then I would go directly to the New Testament. Start, if you're brand new, start reading through the New Testament. Start in the book of John. 
Start in the book of Matthew. Start reading the story of Jesus because you're going to be confused if you start in the book of Genesis, like after chapter 10 or in Exodus or in Numbers or in Leviticus. Start in the New Testament and then start reading. And then I'm going to read. I'm going to keep reading. I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to do this. I'm going to open up my word. I'm not giving myself a choice. Flesh, you're going to read. Let the Holy Spirit make the word of God alive. Make it illuminate the word of God and dive into that thing. And just don't procrastinate. The, the flesh doesn't want you to read. Your flesh is doing everything it can to keep the Bible shut. Because it knows if you open up that Bible, there is supernatural transforming power in the word of God. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And something dangerous is going to happen to your flesh when you get in the word of God. So of course the demons don't want you to read. Of course they're trying to put you to sleep. Of course you're tired. And the moment you start reading, you're thinking about what you're going to watch later. Those pesky demons don't want you to read the Bible. Your flesh doesn't want you to read the Bible. Your flesh wants you to go to bed. But Jesus said, your flesh is weak, but your spirit is willing. There's a yes in you. Whenever I'm tired and I don't want to live stream or preach or read the Bible, or I'm like, I just don't feel it. I, I don't want to. My flesh, here's what I always know. There's a yes in me. There's a yes. Somewhere deep down past the flesh, there's a yes in my spirit because the spirit is willing. The spirit wants to. The spirit wants to read. He wants to pray. So I find the yes. There's a yes in me. Pa- push past the flesh. Tell my flesh to shut up. Oh, we're reading today. I didn't ask you. I'm telling you, we're reading today. So you better just stop talking, messing with me, flesh. Because right now, the next 30 minutes, we're going to read the book of John. We're going to read five chapters. And this is going to change my life. And I'm going to read this thing. I'm not going to wait till I feel it. I'm not going to wait till I'm emotionally stable. And, you know, I just really want to. And I have the time. You're never going to have the time. You're never going to want to do it. Just do it. Just get up and do it. Wake up and do it. Get off the couch and do it. Turn off your Instagram reels. Turn off your TikTok. I'm preaching tonight. Turn off your Facebook reels. Turn off your text messages. You don't need to scroll another. You don't need to watch another video. The last hundred Instagram reels, TikTok, whatever, shorts, Facebook shorts, uh, Facebook reels, YouTube shorts, the last 150 you watched did nothing. They didn't do anything. They didn't change you. They didn't deliver you. They didn't heal you. They didn't make you feel whole. You feel worse after. So just get off of them and open up your Bible. Someone said this is based. This is a based take right here, okay? For all the young people in the chat, W stream. Get off and open up your Bible. Open up that Bible app and start reading until God speaks to you and let the word of God transform you. And if you don't feel it, tomorrow, do it again. And if you don't feel it, tomorrow, do it again. Okay, there's, you have plenty of time to scroll later on videos that do nothing for you. They don't edify you. You gain absolutely nothing. You have plenty of time to do that. But right now, I need, a, I need my life to change. I can't afford to keep living my life like this. I can't afford to keep living my life filling it with just junk and garbage. I need to fill my mind with Christ. I need to fill it with God's word. I need to let the word of God renew my mind, transform my mind. The reason why we don't want to read it is because our mind is so full of junk. It's not been renewed. The reason you don't want to read it is because you don't read it. And as, see, the thing about the kingdom is the more you eat and consume, the hungrier you get. In the natural world, the more you eat, the less hungry you are. In the spiritual world, the more you eat, the hungrier you are. So I'm just going to keep doing it because I'm getting hungrier the more I read, the more I study. And the word of God's getting in me. It's changing me. It's, it's, it's like, man, at first it's hard, it's rough, but it's washing my mind. And as my mind's being renewed, I'm, getting, I'm gaining an affinity towards the word of God. An affinity towards scripture and towards the kingdom. So just keep doing it. I don't feel like lifting my hands. Well, guess what? I'm not led by how I feel. I walk by faith, 
not by sight. Sight is a physical attribute, a physical sense. I don't walk by physical senses. I walk by faith, not by sight. All right, that's good. How can you pray for people if your list keeps, and we'll open up live soon. Again, we're just, we're just going. It's Friday night. You got nothing to do. Okay, wing stops open till midnight. You'll be fine. Order some DoorDash. You'll be good. You don't need to get off. Just stay on here. How can you pray for people if your list keeps growing and growing? Should I keep it small or should I add each person to it? That's a really good question. Because if you have a prayer list and you've had one for three years, your prayer list is probably huge. Huge. Okay. So what do I do? Do I just keep adding hundreds of people or do I make a new list? I I would I usually will like make a list that lasts a few months. Now, family and friends that I've known for years. Though I'm going to be praying for them till they get saved, y'all. And listen, some of y'all need to hurry up and get saved. Because honestly, I'm tired of praying for you. I'm, I'm seriously tired of co- coming to get God. Lord, please change them. Lord, li- just get saved already. I love when family and friends get saved because I can mark them off the list. So help us out, please. Get saved so we don't have to keep praying for you every single day. So family and friends, off the top, we pray until. Now, when I travel and people say, well, pray for my son, I ask them, what is his name? And then I write it on my notepad. Those lists that I make, those will last a few months, okay? I'm going to pray for a few months, but I'm not going to, 10 years go by, I'm still praying for your son that I never met when I met you in Atlanta, you know, in 2005. Like, so I'm going to make a list and then every few months I'll make a new list and keep praying through those people, friends and family. I just have a list. I already know. I pray for them. Lord, touch them, change them, deliver them. We pray that you'd send your angels to them. We pray you'd bring them to repentance. Lord, bring somebody across their way. Open them up to the gospel. I pray, Lord, that you would just plant seeds. I pray that your ministering angels, according to Hebrews 1, would minister around them. I pray, Lord, you'd guard them and you'd guide them. You'd direct them. You'd protect them. You'd anoint them. I pray that they would experience you. And just, whatever, I'm just... I'm just praying as I'm led by the Holy Spirit. I'm praying in tongues. I'm praying in tongues. I'm believing for them. Lord, my uncle, my aunt, my cousin. Lord, you have a plan for them. I know your plan's still good. I come before you again. Here I am again, Lord. I'm knocking on the door. I'm here to bug the judge. Once again, I'm asking again. I'm appealing before you. I'm appealing before you. I'm going to keep bugging the judge. And one day the judge is going to say, I'm tired of you bugging me and answer the request. And so the Bible says, the man at midnight, the guy's knocking on the door. This is what Jesus says. And the guy's like, look, dude, my kids are sleeping. It's midnight. I'm going to give you bread because you're knocking, asking for bread. But I'm not giving you the bread because you are friends with me. It's not because we're in relationship. I'm answering your prayer. I'm going to give you the bread at midnight because of your shameless persistence. That is why Jesus says prayers get answered. I'm helping somebody tonight because you won't stop asking and God says it's midnight and you won't stop knocking. There's something about continual knocking. You bug the judge. The woman goes to the judge. The judge says, here she is again. Every single day, the same woman comes asking for justice, asking for justice. So he answers her request. A wicked judge. I'm preaching the word tonight. The wicked judge answers her request because of her shameless persistence. So there's something about God being like, all right, again? Like, dude, you've been coming for 10 years asking for the same thing, and he, and he grants a request. Well, that just doesn't seem like the nature of God. How are you going to tell God what he what he seems like? That's what he said in his word. So I'm not going to try to, you know, materialize it. This is what it means, and he really just meant, don't bug him, but, you know, if God isn't fine. He said, bug him, I'm going to bug him. He said, bug the judge, I'm going to bug the judge. He said, keep knocking, I'm going to keep knocking. He said, ask, and you'll receive, I'm going to keep asking. He said, seek, how long should I look? Until I find him. So we don't need to rationalize it. Say, well, if God is God, why would he want you to bug him? 
because persistence pays off. Thank you for whoever wrote that in the chat. Stop. I don't know why we spend so much time trying to rationalize God. Like, it doesn't make sense to me. It's not going to. You're not God. He's God. You're not. His ways are not our ways. And his ways are way higher than yours. Okay. Do you believe that if you don't speak in tongues, I'm just now I'm taking some from the chat, but don't start spamming the chat because I still have a lot prepared, but I will go like 20 or 30 minutes in the chat. Okay. We're still just let me take a couple more that I have from you guys sending in. And then I'll, I'll just read some, some hot ones here on the comment section. Do you believe that if you don't speak in tongues, you're going to hell? No. S- speaking in tongues is not salvific. And that word means a salvation issue. It's not a salvation issue. If you don't speak in tongues, you're not going to hell. Let me make sure I say that right. If you don't speak in tongues, you're not going to hell because you don't speak in tongues. I'm going to make sure I'm very clear about that because you know all the heresy hunters watch all my videos. They're my biggest fans. So they're here trying to get some fresh clips. So, you know, tonight we're, we're providing them with plenty of fresh content. Some of you got some of you heresy hunter discernment channels. You've been running dry. So we're going to help you out tonight and give you lots of fresh content here and, and help out the people of God as well. What sparked your faith from unbelief to following Jesus? Uh, what sparked my faith was honestly my encounter with God at the altar that night. So you can go watch that on my channel. It's my main featured video from atheist to revivalist. And that was what really sparked uh, faith for me from being an unbeliever and having unbelief in Jesus. And yes, it is true that the Heresy Hunters are my biggest fan. They watch more of my videos than any of you. So just saying, thank you guys for that. All right, this isn't a big question, but what does type one in the chat mean? All right, everybody right now, type one in the chat if you're having a good time tonight. Type one in the chat if you're having a good time tonight. Okay. I'm glad you asked that. I know that everyone's, you know, young. Not everyone says W stream. Type W stream in the chat. I know some of you are older. Type one in the chat is just something that I made up from just being like, do you agree? If you agree. And it just engages you. Like you're sitting there falling asleep. And I'm like, excuse me. I'm not like that. But I'm like, type one in the chat if you agree. Or type one in the chat if God saved you. Type one. And it's just like a way of being like, I agree. Like I'm jumping in on this. I'm yes. Amen. That's all type one in the chat means. So I'm glad you asked that. Okay, does the laws in Leviticus still apply to us today? No, we are not under the Levitical law any longer. Okay, well, you say, well, are we under the Ten Commandments? Yes, we are. And I'm gonna tell you why we're under the Ten Commandments for a few reasons. But one of those reasons is Jesus reiterated every single one of the Ten Commandments, actually nine of them. The only one he never reiterated was keeping the Sabbath. But the other nine commandments, don't get mad at me. This is facts. I'm just giving you facts here. These are Bible facts. Nine of the Ten Commandments, Jesus reiterated, reiterated, that's a word, reiterated when he came to the earth and walked among us. So that's why we live by the Ten Commandments, because Jesus repeated them when he came to earth. But the one he didn't repeat was the keeping the Sabbath, which I still haven't made a video on. But yeah, but no, we don't live by the laws in Leviticus. Thank God. Thank God, because there is some outlandish laws in Leviticus many outlandish laws that were for that time during that covenant. But the Bible says that the new covenant is so much greater than the old covenant. And I'm glad it says that. I'm not being rude here. The old covenant was terrible compared to the new covenant. And the Bible says that. Not blasphemy. The old covenant was absolutely terrible compared to the glory of the new covenant. Man, type one in the chat if you're so glad that you're in the new covenant thank you lord some are like i wish i was around around during the time of moses i don't i don't wish i was around i'm glad that i wasn't around like i wish i could see the red sea split not me i don't want to be running from chariots and people trying to kill me i don't want to be getting whooped in the whooped in the back make having to serve pharaoh building 
pyramids. No, 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 no. Thank God. I don't want to be around during Elijah's time. I don't want to be up on Mount Carmel. I don't want to be up there with Elijah or Elisha. I am so grateful that I'm in the new covenant. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And if you like seafood, you should be glad that you're in the new covenant. Okay, some of you will get that later. Okay, when you pray, I'm having fun tonight. We're going to do these more often because I could literally do this for eight hours straight. No joke. When we went, ugh, tongue twister here. Okay, so when we go to prayer, pray for a person for deliverance, and when we pray for them, do we pray or command the spirit to manifest or do we let it manifest itself? That was worded very weird, and I read it exactly how it was worded. I think you're saying when we pray for somebody for deliverance, do we command the spirit to manifest or do we let it manifest itself? The way usually spirits manifest is you start calling them out. So I will literally ask them what's like the couple things that you think you struggle with. Uh anger, depression, and lust. Those are the three things they say. All right, well, guess what? We're going to bind the spirit of lust. We're going to bind the spirit of anger. We're going to bind the spirit of confusion, whatever it is. We're going to start there and then let those things surface, call those things out. But yeah, you got to call the spirits out. They're not going to just jump out and be like, here I am. I'm ready to leave. Nice to meet you. I've been watching your videos on YouTube. The demon's not going to jump out and do that. You must command it out of hiding. You must call it out by name the way Jesus did. If you don't think Jesus called out demons by name, go watch my teachings on Jesus casting out demons. Jesus called them out by name. So yes, you call them out by name. They surface and they sometimes manifest. Sometimes they don't. Oftentimes they do though. So yeah, that's how you do it. You don't need to just wait for them to do it. You can actually call them out. Excuse me. Okay. Why do some people receive deliverance but are not fully delivered? Good question. Because there's many variables at play. Some people have a lot of demons. So that's one reason why you might get some deliverance, but not full deliverance. And another reason is some people are just not good. I got to stretch my neck there. Some people are just not uh, trained or know how to do deliverance. So let me give you an example. If I've never done deliverance, okay, giving a lot of good examples tonight. And we're, you come to me for deliverance. You say, hey, I want to do, I want you to pray deliverance over me. Cast these demons out of me. I've never done deliverance. I'm like, okay, I'm going to pray deliverance over you. It's going to be a good time. All that good stuff. First time ever, never watched a video, none of that. And I start praying deliverance over you and you start manifesting. Rah! And you're like, there's 12 demons. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I just cast one out for, and we pray for 20 minutes and then we're done. But there's still 11 more. Then you got deliverance. Okay. But you didn't get fully delivered. You didn't get fully delivered. So you might need to go get more deliverance. So some people do receive deliverance depending on how many demons are there, how long they pray, uh, how the person doing deliverance, if they know what they're doing. There's so many variables at play here. There's never one. There's never, ever, ever in the history been the same deliverance twice. Every single deliverance is different. It's like a puzzle that we're trying to figure out. And some take longer than others. Some demons are stronger than others. According to Jesus, Matthew 12, some demons are more wicked than others. Some demons are other different ranks than others. Some demons are higher ranked. You know, they don't have, they're not instant. It's not instantaneous. So yes, there's very many variables when it comes to deliverance. Anyone that says, it only takes me five minutes every time they, they're lying. Okay, that's not, there's no one that ever has it down to where five minutes every single time. And if they say that, oftentimes they're just getting the person to manifest. But just because somebody manifests doesn't mean that they got delivered. Okay, if I go to the streets now, start laying hands on people and they start growling, screaming and falling over. And I'm like, look, I'm doing deliverance. That does not mean the demons are coming out. I want to see the demon come out of the person. I don't just want you to be like, oh, look, I'm doing deliverance because I'm making everybody manifest. I could make, if there's a room of 100 people that have demons, I could probably make everybody manifest if you give me enough time. But it doesn't mean I'm casting the demons out of all 100 people. So sometimes in mass deliverance, people manifest and get delivered. 
Sometimes they manifest, find out they need to be delivered, and sometimes they don't manifest and get delivered. There's, again, that's why I tell people, maybe you need more deliverance. I'll never be the guy that says, oh, I got every demon out of you. You don't ever need deliverance. Now go and sin no more, because that's not always the case. Okay, man, these are some strong ones here. Can your wife or husband baptize you at home? Yes. Yes, that's all I could say about that. If you're watching this video and you're a believer, I'm telling you right now, you can go baptize people. Don't let some pastor or some religious person tell you that you can't baptize. You can baptize. You don't need to be Bible college certified with the assemblies of God on a denomination, have a license. You can literally go right now and baptize somebody in your bathtub in Jesus' name, all right? Or you can baptize them in the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and in the name of Jesus. However you do it. And I say in Jesus' name, I don't mean like just in Jesus' name, but yeah, all right, we're not going into that. I've already talked about what I believe when it comes to that. What happens to the people who have never heard about Jesus and die? Okay, good question. People have been trying to answer this for years. What you want me to say is that if somebody doesn't hear about Jesus and they die, they go to heaven. That's what you want me to say. And that's what evangelical evangelicals usually teach. The problem with that theory is this. Okay, let me paint you a picture. There's an island of 100 people. They've never heard the name of Jesus. Never. Never heard the name of Jesus. Never heard God. None of that. Okay? 100 people. I'm a, I'm a missionary. I'm a part of a missionary group. Now, if your theology is if somebody doesn't hear about Jesus and they die, they go to heaven. That's your theology. Average American evangelical Christian, that's probably what they would say. That's not my theology. That's your theology. I don't believe that. Then the best thing for me to do as a missionary, and I'm going to talk slow so you catch, you catch it. The best thing for me to do if I'm a missionary is to not go to that island. Don't go to the island and share the gospel. Why? Because if I go to the island of a hundred isolated people and share the gospel with them and they reject the gospel, they're going to die and go to hell. But if I never go minister to them and preach to them, then they just automatically go to heaven because they never heard about Jesus. Do you guys see this? So your the your theology of they go to heaven if they've never heard about Jesus literally means we shouldn't evangelize because it's worse to tell people about Jesus because once they know, now they're responsible. So of course, that can't be the right way just because of that point. And that is a good point. But now let me show you what the scripture says because really my points don't matter. It matters what, is the, what does the scripture say? Romans chapter 1 verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who, look at this, suppress the truth by their wickedness. Let's stop there. Romans 1.18. They suppress their truth with their wickedness. So God has given them truth. They know the truth. Everybody somewhere in them somehow have the truth, but they actually suppress the truth. So it's there, but they're suppressing it. But it, but it is there. Okay. And let me, you know what? Let me do this because I want to try this. I want to try this new screen here. Let me try this new screen here. Oh, look at that. Isaiah's got the Bible on screen. That's dangerous here. Okay. Look at this. Look at this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth. Can you guys see me highlighting it? In unrighteousness. Because, look at this. What may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. So God has shown himself to them. How, does, how has God done that, though? How has God done that, though? Look, verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, 
What? Being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power, Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Whoa. Look at this chat. So how has God made every single person know, even the atheists, that he's real? How has God shown it to them? Because of creation. His invisible attributes are seen through the fact that trees and stars and the sky and nature and the human eyeball, they clearly show that there's a God. Okay? So they are they are what? Mm, I'm preaching strong. They are without excuse. Because... Paul's just so good here. Although they know God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God in, into images made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creepy things. Therefore, God also gave them up. We might as well just keep going here to uncleanliness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God. So what did they do? They never heard the gospel, but what have they done even without hearing the gospel? They exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped the sir and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And then for this re reason, God gives them to vile passions, women with women, likewise, men with men burning for one another. Look at this here. I won't say it out loud because I'll get banned. Look what it says there. Is that not America? Did I not just highlight America? They can't ban me for highlighting it, but they can ban me for saying it. But look, that's America right there. Committing what is shameful and receiving the penalty of their error, which was due. So don't get mad at God for receiving judgment. It's due to you. It's literally due to you. It's like you deserve that because of the choices that you made and the things that you've done. So there's your little Bible lesson there. I made that screen today so we could just jump into the Bible whenever we need to. And I could show you guys so you guys could stop saying, oh, Isaiah Saldivar doesn't read the Bible or know the Bible. There you go. We got it right there on screen for you. All right. We're going to take like, we'll go ahead and start typing your questions in the chat. And then I'll take them. And then when I don't have a good one in the chat, I'll take them. Okay. So go ahead and start typing your questions and I'll answer them here. But I'll answer them and give them, you know, regular answers here. Do you believe in reincarnation? No. Reincarnation is not biblical. It is appointed for man to die once, then comes judgment. Is it a sin to play video games? We've gotten asked this a billion times, and the answer is no. Just like it's not a sin to watch movies, just like it's not a sin to uh, go on vacation. It's about content. What are the movies you're watching? What is the content of the movies? What is the content of the video games? If you're playing a video game and you're doing seances and witchcraft and murdering people and doing all these things, then it probably is a sin for you, or probably is a sin. But if you're playing a game that doesn't have all these thematic elements, then you're probably fine, but it's, you have to go by, there's no, there's no solid answer. There's no obsolete here. The nuance is it depends on what you're playing. Depends on what you're watching. That's like saying movies are demonic. Movies are a sin. Entertainment is a sin. You can't just say that because it depends on what you're watching. It depends on what you're listening to. It depends on where you're going. It depends on what you're doing at your vacation. It's a, it's a sin to go on vacation and drink and party and do lustful things, but it's not a sin to take your family on vacation. You guys see what I'm saying? So that's how you have to look at it. What do you think about the book of Enoch? I have not dived into it, but I will. I haven't had time. I look at it as a historical document from all my study. It's a historical document. That's what I look at it as, but it's not canon. It is not canon. Okay. Can, can women preach? Someone said in the chat. Absolutely women can preach. 100%. Women can preach. Yes. All right. Somebody said context. That's the truth. When are we going on vacation? Uh, Vlad in the chat. What's up, bro? 
Oh, actually, we are going on vacation next year together, Vlad. So I'm excited for that. We're going to have a vacation. That's going to be good. What's up, Vlad? Everyone show Vlad some love. Okay, go subscribe to his channel. Even though I joke and tell you not to because he passed me in subs. Make sure you show him some love. We love you and appreciate you, Vlad. Can women baptize other people? Yes, women can baptize. Absolutely. Is stuttering a demon? I don't think stuttering is always a demon. But I think there... I, I did hear a testimony of a guy who got delivered that didn't stutter anymore. So again, all these sicknesses, all these mental things we go through, they can be, but they not, they're not always. So you can't say, oh, someone stutters, they have a demon. Could it be? Of course it could be. Just like Tourette's could be a demon causing those things, right? Or a bunch of other mental issues. But they're not always a demon, so we don't always want to treat it like a demon. But at some occasions, it can be. Yes. Now everyone's saying, Pastor Vlad, so I'll go to my questions here. Okay, is it possible for a house or my home to have demons? Yes. An evil spirit can live in any place where it's welcomed or any place where someone hasn't assumed authority and hasn't hindered that spirit. Revelation chapter 2, verse 13 Remember, it says, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. This was a physical dwelling place. Satan had his throne in that city. So demons can come into houses that they have a legal right to come into. They can make their home a place where they're worshipped, respected, invited in. You can absolutely invoke spirits into houses or into locations. Ephesians 4.27 says, do not give a place to the devil. Now, Paul is specifically talking about anger, but they got, that could also apply to other areas of life. So yes, you can give a place to, to evil spirits. So if you are dealing with that, I would walk around every room and command the evil spirits to leave. I would dedicate your house to the Lord and I would ask the Holy Spirit to fill your house and I would get rid of anything that gave the demons the legal right to be in your house. Get rid of the things that caused them to be there. Walk around, anoint the doorways, command the demons to leave and ask the Holy Spirit to fill your house. So now it's no longer full of demons, it's full of the Holy Spirit. Can I get into heaven if I haven't spoken in tongues? Yes, I already answered that, you can. Um, what's the difference between persistent prayer and selfish prayers? Selfish prayers are prayers that benefit you and cause you to gain and you to get ahead, but they're not according to the will of God and God doesn't answer those prayers. Persistent prayers are you praying the will of God over and over until God does it. You continue to bring your requests. For example, asking God to save your friends or family, that's a, that's a prayer of persistence and it's God's will that he would save your friends and family. So it's, that's not a selfish prayer. Can teenagers have spiritual gifts? Absolutely. There's no age for gifts of the spirit. There's no age. There's no junior Holy Spirit. Young people, five-year-olds, 10-year-olds, teenagers can walk in spiritual gifts for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, I'm looking here. Lots of questions coming in. How do I know if I need deliverance? We have videos on this, but a couple ways you can know is dominating thoughts that you didn't create and you can't get rid of, voices in your head, constant recurring nightmares, overwhelming desire to do sinful things beyond what the flesh would tempt you to do, perverted desires so the f the flesh will give you ungodly desires or tempt you or try to drag you away but demons will give you perverted desires that are beyond the natural inclinations of a person those are a couple ways hearing blasphemy in your head while somebody's preaching a struggle to read the bible i mean a real struggle every time you read you fall asleep every time you read you hear cuss words constant cussing in your head these are all these are all things that these are all things that could be a demon all right. Okay, keep asking, guys, and I have some here. What are familiar spirits? Familiar spirits are spirits that are familiar with friends or family. So, give you an example of a familiar spirit. If you go to a psychic and you ask the psychic about your life, a spirit, the psychic will invoke a familiar spirit or a spirit that's familiar with you to tell it 
the psychic to tell it things about you. So they're reading your cards or doing the crystal ball or they're giving you a reading. There's a demon right there telling them everything about you because the demon's familiar with you. People are like, how did the demon, the psychic know that I was at a party two months ago? Because the demon was with you at the party, that's why. The demon was there. Like, I don't know how they knew that. Well, because the, the demon was there with you. So your grandma dies. The chat is fast. I know it's on slow mode, but there's 2,700 people in here right now. So yeah, there's a lot of people typing. I know, I'm sorry. If your grandma dies or your aunt dies and then a month goes by and your grandma comes to you in her form, it's in the spirit, in the form of a ghost, which the word ghost just means spirit, and says, honey, I love you. I'm in heaven, right? Or she comes and says, I was this. Like she comes and visits you. Go, you need to go to the Catholic church. You need to go do this, whatever. She comes and tells you, that is not your grandma. Okay, that is not your grandma. And you're like, oh, I know I smelt the apple pie that she used to make. No, that's a demon. That is not your grandma. That is a familiar spirit that, guess what? Was familiar with your grandma and came and pretended to be her. Looked like her, talked like her, acted like her. Demons can shapeshift. It was familiar. It was a familiar spirit. Does caffeine have a demon component to it? Caffeine inherently doesn't. But you could get addicted, and that could definitely open you up to a spirit of addiction, for sure. You could get addicted to caffeine, like anything else. Okay. What's the difference between debating and arguing? Ugh, good question. Uh, I think that if you don't have a moderator, and you're raising your voice and yelling at each other, you're arguing, not debating. Debating should be done on a neutral playing field with a moderator. Or it doesn't have to be a moderator, but it should be respectful. You shouldn't be cutting each other down. You shouldn't be shooting for low blows you should be debating a topic giving your side they give their side and you come to a healthy conclusion you should not be screaming arguing cutting people down yelling at people none of that all right how do i know if i'm called the deliverance ministry because the bible says you are this is a beautiful question every single one of you if you are a believer not every one of you but if you are a believer then according to the word of god you are called to deliverance ministry you're called the deliverance ministry okay Guys, try not to spam the questions too much. Just ask, and then if I see it, I see it. If I answer, I answer. There's thousands of people in here, so I can't. What's a Baptist and a Lutheran church? There's certain denominations. Um, that's what they are. Okay, I'm trying to read them, but the, honestly, there's. this is why I did the pre-sent in, because it gets super crazy when I say, ask your question. Okay, will there always be monitoring spirits around us? Uh, I don't know that there always is spirits monitoring you. But probably some people have that. Yeah, but I, I don't think everybody's that, you know, powerful that the devil's sending out a monitoring spirit to you. Is it possible for Satan to possess someone? Mm, yeah, it is actually. Yeah, it is. It definitely is possible because in the Bible, he filled people. He entered into people. So Satan entered Judas. Satan will en enter into humans in book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation. So... It's definitely possible that Satan could enter a human being and could fill somebody and use them and do his thing. And uh, there's probably been some politicians, if you know what I mean, where Satan has entered them. And I think for sure, some of these main political leaders that are pushing for the, I can't even say the word because I'll get flagged, the killing babies agenda. I could say that, but I can't say the A word. These politicians pushing the killing babies agenda, I'm pretty sure Satan has filled some of them at one time or another. Because that is the most demonic thing in our world today. Okay. Why is filming deliverance necessary or even appropriate? Mm, that's a good one. Why is filming deliverance even appropriate or necessary? 
I think because deliverance is not talked about or not shown in the church, I think it builds people's faith. And it's also a miracle. Remember, Jesus called deliverance a miracle. So we don't ever see Jesus hiding deliverance. We don't ever see him not wanting people to see people getting delivered. We see deliverance happening in public. In Acts chapter 8, Philip and a crowd of people was casting out demons. So it's it's very biblical to do deliverance in a crowd of people or with a mass amount of people there or people around, period. Jesus didn't say, take all the kids and women and get out. Only men could get deliverance. He was doing it in public. So let me use my words wisely here. I don't think it's necessary to film deliverance, but I think it is powerful and I think it does show people what deliverance is. And I don't think it's inappropriate unless the person doesn't want to be filmed. If we do a one-on-one deliverance and they don't, we ask them, do you want to be recorded? And they say, no, we don't record them. Okay. So that's the bottom line. But if you're in a public setting, you're coming into one of our mass deliverance services where there's literally cameras everywhere, then don't expect not to get filmed when there's literally cameras everywhere. You guys get what I'm saying there? So you got to use discretion, but yeah, there's times where it's not appropriate. There's times where it shouldn't happen. There's times where the person should be blurred out. There's sensitive topics that should be edited out or not said. And I think we, we because we're zealous to see deliverance out there and, and to see people get delivered, I think we all, including me, have put out videos that maybe were just shouldn't have been put out or maybe we're just, and I've even taken down videos. Maybe just were too graphic in the sense of what the person said. And I've had people write me say, take my video down and we took it down. No problem. People change their mind. People get mad. They don't want their, they want you to post their video. I've had people say, post my video. I post it a week later. They say, take it down. I take it down. They say, please repost it. And I say, no, I already posted it. You told me to take it down. I'm not reposting it. This is not a game. So there's a lot of variables there when it comes to that. All right. Here's a very important question that someone's asking an account named Isaiah Saldivar 22 messaged me on Instagram and gave me a prophetic word. Is that you? No, no. Guys, do not respond to fake accounts. Please do not respond to fake accounts. Please, please, please. I have one account and I'm going to show it to you right now. That's my only account. I want you to notice the spelling. There's no 22. There's no underscore. There's 139,000 followers. It's just, it's very easy to tell what's fake and not. No spaces, no underscores. Isaiah Saldivar. Okay. One person literally had my kids as African-American on the emojis and it had two men holding hands. These, these scammers are not even good. That's me. I don't have any other profiles. I'm supposed to be verified, but it didn't, it hasn't gone through. I don't know. Don't get scammed. I've said this a million times. I don't know how many times I have to say it. Please don't get scammed. I only have one Facebook, one Instagram, one YouTube. My YouTube has a verification mark. So I don't have WhatsApp. That should settle it. I had a guy come up to me like, hey man, we've been talking for months. He came to me in person. I'm like, bro, I don't know you. We've never talked. He's like, no, I've been sending you money. And he showed me the messages. That's That wasn't me. That was, it was broken English. It was like, beloved, I have a word from you. Guys, I don't speak in broken English. I don't speak in broken English. I speak perfectly good English. I know sometimes I make up words, but I do not speak in broken English. I will not message you saying, beloved, the Lord showed me in a vision or a dream. So please guys, don't fall for scammers. Do not send money in the middle of the night. I will never message you asking you for money. Okay. We're going to go a couple more here. Is hypnosis an open door to demons? 100% yes. 100% hypnosis is an open door to demons. Can I cast out demons if I'm demonized? Absolutely. You can for sure do deliverance if you have a demon, but I would go get deliverance first. But if you don't know you have a demon and it surfaces in deliverance, get delivered. 
But yeah, I've seen people find out they have a demon while they're doing deliverance on someone. So you for sure can do that. Where is your church located at? It is located in Stockton, California. Life Song Church is the church that I am a part of, that I love, that I attend, that I submit to. Love the local church and love my church and love my pastors. Life Song Church in Stockton, California. I've been going there for a little over a year. Before that, I pastored a church in Manteca, California for a month shy of 10 years. And now I'm a part of a local church because I'm, I can't senior pastor and do online ministry and travel. So I have to do what God's telling me to do right now. Now in five years, if God says senior pastor or pastor, then I'll do that. But right now, this is what I'm doing. Pastor Greg Locke, thank you so much for that donation I missed. Thank you, brother. Said love you, my brother. Thank you so much for that generous donation, Pastor Greg Locke. We really appreciate you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Awesome. Thank you for that. Okay, couple more and then we're going to, I was going to say we're going to call it and hang out with the chat, but we kind of are hanging out with the chat. So I guess we'll just keep going. I guess we'll just keep going because if we stop, we're just going to be doing the same thing, talking to the chat. How often do you go through your Facebook messages? Not often because I get hundreds a day and I just can't go through them all. So yeah, I don't go through them often. Uh, guys, I'm at a point where I would love to talk to every single one of you, message every one of you, but we literally get hundreds of messages every single day. So I just catch the ones I can catch. I do what I can do but I can't get to every single message. I'm sorry about that. I don't know what else to do. All right, someone said, are you okay? Okay, next question. Is baptism, oh, we're gonna, we're, we've been really controversial tonight, okay? I'm going off on the charging for deliverance to the everything else. We might as well just go, I, I don't shy away from controversial questions. Is baptism necessary for salvation? We know clearly, very clearly, we know that baptism is not necessary for salvation. Should we get baptized? Yes. Should every believer be baptized? Yes. In fact, at our church, we baptize people. And this is one of the things I love about it. Every single service, every single Sunday, we baptize people. If you've ever been to our church, literally every Sunday, every service, we baptize people. So we don't do like once a month baptisms. We do them every service, every Sunday. If you need to get baptized or want to, and you're in the middle of service, you can come up to us. We'll baptize you in the service, like straight up. And I love that about our church. So, but is it necessary? If you, so imagine you go to the altar or you're at home and you say, Lord, I believe in you. I put my faith in you. I trust in you. I repent of my sins. I turn to you. I want to serve you. You're born again. God transforms your life. You go through it all. You're, and 20 minutes later, you're right there in your room. I, I want to serve you. I repent. You receive Christ. You, salvation hits you. And 20 minutes later, you die of a, of a heart attack. Many people that teach baptism is necessary, they'll say that person was not saved. That's crazy, y'all. That is not biblical. The thief on the cross was not baptized, but was saved. But let me give you a better, like, that's not a good example. That's an exception, not the rule. And I agree. Here's a better example. Acts chapter 10. I think it's Acts 10. I believe it is Acts 10. Acts chapter 10. Cornelius' house. Paul is it Peter? Is it? Let me just go to Acts chapter 10. Hold on. I I, I've, it's been a while since I taught in the book of Acts. And I'm just going off the top of my head here. I think it's Peter. It's Peter. It's Peter. It's Peter. Okay. Peter meets Cornelius. You know what? Let me get... How do I put bigger font on this app? Hold on. Hold on. Somebody said that it's the font was too small. I'll figure it out later. Library. I, I need to get a better app anyways. Let me get a better app for this. Okay. Let me show you guys this really quick. Is it still going to work? Yes, it's going to work. Okay. I know the I know the font's small. Bear with me. Let me find where this happens at. 
preaching at uh okay so then peter opens his mouth okay so peter is preaching in acts 10 34 at cornelius's house okay i want you to see this he's preaching the gospel message to them that's acts 34. look at here see where it says the holy spirit falls on the gentiles when peter was still speaking these words this is directly from your bible this is about is it necessary to be baptized before you're saved while peter was still speaking these words look what it says here the holy spirit fall, fell upon those who who heard the word so everybody gets the holy spirit right here that's acts chapter 10 verses 44. and then it says and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many came with peter because the gift of the holy spirit had been poor okay religious people came with peter these were those of the circumcision i've taught on this extensively they were astonished look why because the gift of the let me let me highlight this is it gonna let me it's not, oh, i don't like that the gift of, because the gift of the holy spirit had been poured out on the gentiles also so these guys are like what the gentiles are getting the holy spirit so god validates the gentiles by pouring out his holy spirit onto them while peter's preaching look at this for they heard them some of y'all aren't gonna like this for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify god so they're speaking in tongues here then peter answered can anyone forbid water okay so now they're full of the holy ghost so the question is are they saved they have the holy spirit they've received the message and they've received the holy spirit so could you be unsaved and have the holy spirit come on chat of course not you cannot receive the holy spirit and not be saved so now that they have the holy spirit it's been poured out on them they're speaking in tongues they have the gift of the holy spirit of course they're saved okay now or should i say then then peter answered can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received past tense the holy spirit just as we have and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the lord then he asked them to, then they asked him to stay a few days okay this is all you need to know that baptism is not salvific okay it doesn't save you from being baptized and i know i have friends that disagree it's okay we can still be friends they heard the message they got filled with the holy spirit and then peter says is anyone here that would stop them from being baptized he looks around should we just water baptize them we need to get baptized peter commands them to be baptized so of course they were saved and of course you don't have to be baptized to be saved although you should be baptized it's not required okay and and you cannot tell me it is how could you tell me it is how could you tell how could you read that and go ah no they had the holy spirit but they weren't saved there's a lot of other arguments but that's the best one there from in my opinion so no it's not necessary but, it, but we should do it we should do that yeah that's acts chapter 10. okay we're almost done i don't know if i'm praying in tongues or making it up because okay this is one simple way if you're speaking in tongues or praying in tongues and you can think about something else while still doing it you're not making it up if you're making it up you have to think about it before you say it okay so if i'm praying in tongues let me just pray in tongues here. I could do that, pray in tongues by faith as I'm thinking about what I have to get done tomorrow. I could do both because it's not me praying, it's my spirit praying. So that's why that video I posted where they scan the brain and the brain, there was no activity when they were praying in tongues or not much because there was the spirit praying out of them. But if you have to think about it before you say the words, then you're probably making it up, which is just pray that you'd get the real thing if you are. Okay, I hear curse words in my head. Is that a demon? Probably. Probably. If somebody is, if you're hearing a voice curse in your head and you're not creating it and it's not the Holy Spirit, then yes, it's a demon. Because those are the only three voices I taught you guys, remember? 
How do I receive the Holy Spirit? I have an entire video on receiving the Holy Spirit where I pray with you. Very simple. Repent. I'll just give you a couple steps. There's others, but the very basic ones. Repent. Ask. So you repent. You ask for the Holy Spirit, according to Jesus. You hunger for the Holy Spirit, and you thirst for the Holy Spirit. Okay, these are intentional things you do. And I have a whole video on the four steps to receive the Holy Spirit, according to Jesus. You repent. Acts 2.38. You you ask, Jesus said, if you ask for the Holy Spirit, he'll give it to you. You hunger and thirst, because he said, those that hunger and thirst shall be filled. Those are the four things. Isaiah, when are you going to start the gym? Hopefully next week. Hopefully next week. All right, we're almost done. Oh, man, we got, all right, we got two more, two more, two more. And I have a lot coming in the chat. Maybe I'll answer one or two more in the chat after these last two. Lord, help me. Lord, help me right now before I answer this to use wisdom and grace and be nice. What do you think about discernment ministries or heresy hunter YouTube channels? I don't think they're biblical because there's no one in the Bible that God said, I want you to only call out false teachers and tell everyone that doesn't believe what you believe they're wrong. I think oftentimes they're very petty. And this is what I mean by petty. They call people false teachers that teach secondary issues. For example, let me give you one example. Whether you believe a Christian could have a demon or not is a secondary issue. If you teach Christians can't have demons and I teach they can, you're not a false prophet or teacher for teaching that because you teach something I don't believe is true. And I'm not a false teacher, false prophet for teaching something you don't think is true because it's a secondary issue. It's not a salvific issue. Now, if you're teaching Jesus didn't raise from the dead, you're a false prophet, you're a heretic. Okay, those are the people we, we can go after and talk about. But if you're teaching secondary issues, those are not salvific. A lot of times discernment ministries, which is a made up term, all they do is go after people that believe a different thing than they believe. So for example, they don't believe miracles for today, but I do. So now I'm a false teacher and a heretic and they're going to make 50 videos on me using all my content for their own gain. So I think it's, I think it's oftentimes unbiblical. I think it's oftentimes petty. I think it breeds division. Remember, the Bible says it's an abomination, those that sow, sow discord among the brethren. When you're sowing discord and division in the, in the body of Christ with people that are you know are believers, are truly believers, men of God that are doing the work of Jesus, then absolutely you're sowing discord in the body of Christ. So yeah, I have a lot other, of other thoughts, and I'm sure this will be taken out of context to make, make a video, but I 100% would unsubscribe to every heresy hunter channel. Okay, the ones that call out, constantly call out false teachers. Let's just be honest. The motivating factor is ad revenue because they get the most views because people love drama. Okay, so ad revenue, people love drama and they all are they all are monetized. The One of the main guys that makes videos on me, all my videos he's made on me, they are monetized. They are making money off of every single video, every single view. When he makes a video on me and he gets 30,000 views, he makes money off of that. Okay, so there's ad revenue and if it's not about money, then, then demonetize all of them. Take all the ads off all the Heresy Hunter videos and you won't because you're that's where you're making your income. Gets clicks, get views, and it's just a drama-based... Like, I don't know. In my mind, I'm 31 years old. I could never look at like a Heresy Hunter channel or like a discernment ministry channel and just take it serious. It's just like, dude, there's so much good content you could make. Why, why do you have to stoop so low and create a following based on what people are against rather than what they're for. I want to create a community of what people are for than what they're against. And if you want to really know if these channels are toxic or bad or negative, all you have to do is just spend 
five minutes in the comment section. Okay, I've been in these live streams of these guys that call everyone a heretic, and their comment sections are toxic. Oh yeah, that guy's such a snake. Oh yeah, that guy's the devil. Oh my god. It's just bad mouthing, slander, talk. It's worse than a TikTok comment section. You can just go to one of their videos right now, pre-recorded. It's all just terrible comments, rude. That guy's going to hell. That guy's it's all negative. There's no building up. There's no glory of God. There's no Holy Spirit. It's all just bitter, 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 negative and busybodies. Sitting around making videos about grown men when you're a grown man or a grown woman it's like it's just to me it's cringe i don't know i don't know i'm trying to say it nicely i don't know what other way to say it. i just think it's incredibly unhealthy to live your life slandering other people that you don't agree with because they don't believe what you believe right especially when they're teaching the bible and you don't agree with certain certain areas of the bible like deliverance like one guy's like all his videos on me are, he doesn't believe in deliverance like how could you not believe in deliverance literally jesus cast the demons everywhere he went and then tells us to do it. So yeah, I'll stop there. My mom just said it's a distraction. Absolutely. I couldn't say it better. These people are distractions and that is why I won't respond and I won't give them any credit and I won't, you know, promote their ministries or be like, oh, so-and-so made another video on me. It's like, come on, dude. I'm out with my kids. I'm out trying to put in, make videos and read my Bible and pray and build the kingdom. And you're out watching my videos to get ammo, to make more videos, to make more ad revenue and to slander me more. Just so weird to me. Last question here. Can you lose your salvation? And then how could you be a son of God and then not be a son anymore? You can't lose your salvation. You forfeit your salvation. You don't lose your salvation like you lose car keys. You willfully turn from the truth and turn away from God. So you saying like once saved, always saved, or you can't lose your salvation. You're saying that you can never turn from God. And of course you can. The Bible never teaches once saved, always saved, by the way. If you guys didn't know that. There's nowhere in the Bible that teaches once you're saved, you can never lose it. Do whatever you want. That's not what, that's not a biblical doctrine. And as far as asking, how could I be a son of God and then not be a son anymore? John chapter one, he gave us right to be children of God. He gave us the right. So we're not children of God born. We're born children of the devil. The Bible says we are children of Satan living in sin. And God gives us the right to become his children. So yes, once we're sons of God and we turn from God, we now serve a different master. We're no longer sons of God. We're sons of the devil, the Bible says. John said, if you keep sinning, you are a son of the devil. Jesus looked at the Pharisees and said, you're just like your father, Satan. So, yes, of course, you can turn from God and be a son of the devil if you serve the devil. And that's now your father. It's, it says that in scripture. So, once saved, always saved. False doctrine. False sense of security. The Bible doesn't teach it. And it's not scriptural at all. Now, do I believe in eternal security? Of course I do. Once I'm saved, I'm eternally secure. The devil cannot steal my salvation or snatch me out of God's hand. Nothing the devil can do in me force me to give up my salvation. The devil cannot come in and take my salvation. But I can turn from God, not be an overcomer, and God blot my name out according to the book of Revelation. So yes, God can cut off branches. Yes, God can blot names out. Yes, there's apostates. Because if once they've always saved was real, there's no apostasy. There's no cutting off the branches and there's no blotting the names out. So there, I don't want to go into it deep here. I have a whole video on once saved, always saved. I'll do more videos on it. It is a false doctrine. It's a false doctrine. And I would be scared to tell people that they're saved that are not really saved. Telling people, oh yeah, you're saved. Once you're saved, you're always saved. You can go party, drink, do whatever you want. You can't lose your salvation. So the pastor that spent 15 years serving God truly, 
but is now with another person's wife out the bar at the club, no longer serving God, and is a self-proclaimed atheist? According to you, he's still saved? Because that's what? Once he was saved once. He was for sure saved once, but now he's always saved. So then they would say, well, no, he was never truly saved. Really? There you are again telling people who's saved and who's not saved. So no. One saved always saved. False doctrine. Don't believe it. All right. A couple more from the chat. We've answered a lot of questions. We've been live for almost two hours. Four minutes shy of two hours. What a great night. One saved always saved takes many people to hell. Absolutely. Okay. Why does God need angels? He doesn't need angels. He doesn't need anybody. But they're part of God's divine order. And they do things for on behalf of God on the earth. They're God's ministering spirits. Does God take gifts away? Good question. The gifts of God are without repentance or irrevocable. I always got taught. I don't want to go into a whole teaching. I'm trying to think of how I could make this quick. I always got taught that that means that you could have gifts. And even if you sin, God will never take them. You could still do all this. That's not necessarily what it means. That's a whole nother teaching. Spiritual gifts are manifestations of the spirit. Okay. They're not like you get a gift and you have it forever and you can use it anytime you want. The spiritual gifts, the Bible clearly says, are spiritual manifestations of the Holy Spirit. So if I'm, for example, ministering to somebody and I need to give them a prophetic word, the spirit of the gift of prophecy, because it's a spiritual manifest, it's a manifestation of the spirit. That's what the gifts are. That spirit of prophecy might manifest. That spiritual gift might manifest. But then when I'm done prophesying, I don't need the prophecy. So these gifts, they function in and out. They come in and out as God distributes them. So God says, okay, you need a word of knowledge. I'm going to, I'm going to manifest that. That's why the Bible says the same spirit gives all the gifts. It manifests all the gifts because you know, it's like tools in a tool shed. I don't need a shovel, a hammer and a lawnmower all at once, but sometimes I need a shovel. Sometimes I need a lawnmower. Sometimes I need a hammer. And the time I need that gift, that gift God can by his choice manifest that part of the Holy spirit. Because again, the Bible says the gifts are the manifestations of the spirit. That revelation I just shared changed my life. Absolutely. Because I always thought, well, I have the gift of prophecy, but I don't have the gift of knowledge. Well, I have the gift of tongues, but I don't have the gift of that. But that's not how gifts work. There's nowhere in the Bible where it's like, you have this gift, I have this gift, and forever we're going to have those gifts. They're manifestations of the spirit. Okay. All right. All right. I think we're going to call the questions there. I think we're going to call the questions there. And then I'm going to give you... Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Revival Lifestyle Podcast. If you like what you heard, go to www.isaiahsaldivar.com for more content. And please follow me on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram at Isaiah Saldivar. See you next week.